Hello, and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast. This podcast is ran by two ladies who play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast does cover topics of sensitive nature, and as such, listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Wheel of Crime podcast. My name is Jen. And usually, (laughs) I would have my other co-host, Emily, with me, but unfortunately, she is unable to join us this week. But no worries, guys. We didn't want to leave you hanging, so today, I am going to spin you a solo tale. And I've actually got a really interesting story for you this week. I was racking my brain thinking, what can I do by myself? I wanted something a little bit different that I, than I usually do and something super interesting. So I found this tale and I won't give too, too much away uh, before we even begin, but there will be no wheel of questions today because it is just me, and um, yeah, I'm not going to ask myself questions that I already know the answers to, (laughs) but don't fret, Um, there will be another episode of regularly programmed content for you all next week, so if this is not your jam, no worries, tune in next week for another new episode with both Emily and I. All right. With that being said, then I shall just jump right on into it. Are you guys ready? I am. <laughs> Please bear with me. My uh, my lame jokes don't land quite as well without Emily pretending to laugh for me. So, here we go. So, today I'm going to tell you all about a man named Vincenzo Perugia. And he was born on October 8th in 1881 in Italy. So later in life, Vincenzo moved to Paris in search of a life of art. Like many other Italians, Vincenzo sought greater opportunities in Paris only to find himself disparaged by the locals as uh, sale macaroni, which is French for dirty macaroni, which is not a very nice term. Quite rude, I would say. Our pal Vincenzo did have a prior arrest for robbing a prostitute and for toting a gun during a brawl. He served a short jail sentence for an attempted robbery in 1908. He eventually secured himself a part-time job at a very famous French museum known as the Louvre. Beautiful museum. Quite spectacular. Lots of great art. (laughs) This is a Yelp review now. So he worked as a restorer of the frames on the paintings in the museum for a firm that cut glass for the Louvre. So he didn't work directly for them, but he was more like a contractor for a company that did. On Monday, August 21st, 1911, around 7 a.m., dressed in a white worker's smock, he entered the Louvre through a door where the other Louvre workers were entering. The museum was closed because it was a Monday, and all museums are, I think pretty much all museums are closed on Mondays in France. Vincenzo said that he wore one of the white smocks that the museum employees customarily wore so that he was indistinguishable from the other workers. 
In the Salon Carré, the Louvre's gallery of Renaissance treasures, he lifted a small wooden painting off a wall and removed its glass shadow box. The painting that he lifted was by Leonardo da Vinci, and it was a painting of a 16th century Florentine noblewoman with a very infamous smile. The painting was also known as the Mona Lisa. I'm sure a few of you have heard of it. Maybe not. Pretty obscure, I know. So, some people report that he concealed the painting under his smock, but Vincenzo was only 5 foot 3 inches tall, and the Mona Lisa measured approximately 21 inches by 30 inches, so it just wouldn't fit under his smock that would be worn by a man of his size. So, he instead took off his smock and wrapped it around the painting, tucked it under his arm, and left the Louvre through the same door that he had entered. Very, uh, swift, if you will. So, Vincenzo hid the painting in the trunk of his apartment in Paris, and 26 hours would pass before anyone noticed that the Mona Lisa had gone missing. The heist was discovered when a wealthy museum patron and amateur painter arrived to study the Mona Lisa, but instead found a blank wall in its place. The Louvre routinely removed artwork for photographing, so guards thought nothing of the missing work, but after several hours it became highly unusual and one of the guards alerted the staff. That evening, police announced the theft. Georgia Benedit, curator of the Louvre, told the press that only a practical joker would steal such a prize painting as it would be too difficult to hide. Many people believed that the thief would demand ransom within 48 hours, but two days passed and no one came forward. The leaf also left behind very little clues. So security found a doorknob from the staircase outside of the building and a plumber recalled helping a man who had taken off a doorknob while locked in the stairwell. A guard found a wooden frame and glass covering box on a staircase which belonged to the Mona Lisa and on the frame it had one thumbprint. Paris police investigator Alphonse Bertillon, often credited with inventing the mugshot, believed in this new world technique of fingerprinting still very near those and they definitely didn't have the technology we have today but he was willing to give it a go however he had 750,000 prints on file which was way too many for him to cross-examine so instead he fingerprinted the 257 Louvre employees who had been working that day which obviously nothing came up because no one who was working that day or was supposed to be working that day stole the painting. Police distributed 6,500 leaflets with the painting's image and offered 40,000 francs reward. Neighbors informed on neighbors, co-workers informed on co-workers, and every lead led nowhere. Though the museum did recover some stolen loot, <laughs> that wasn't the Mona Lisa. On September 7th, police arrested poet Guillaume Apollinaire, on suspicion of involvement in the theft of the Mona Lisa and some Egyptian statues from the Louvre. The poet's secretary, Jerry Pierre, who was a small-time art thief, just so happened, had gone to the Paris Journal newspaper after falling out with Guillaume, claiming to have information on the Mona Lisa. Police interrogated a terrified Guillaume and eventually released him, but not before he gave up the name of a very close friend, who was the painter Pablo Picasso. So Picasso knew nothing about the Da Vinci and did 
but did return some Ibrin Bronze Age statues, which was stolen by Pierre in 1907. The statue served as models for one of his really famous works that helped usher in Cubism, actually. So the Louvre kept an empty space open for the vanished painting, and crowds of curious onlookers came to gaze at the vacant wall. Among them, observers writer Frank Kalafka and his close friend Max Broad. So with the painting being gone so long, conspiracy theories started to arise within the community. So some people thought that Forgery Ring took it and they were selling forgeries to naive but wealthy art lovers. Or some thought a robber by the name of J.P. Morgan had just purchased the original outright. And others speculated that Adam Worth, a criminal who once... Perlune Thomas Gainsbourg's Georgina Duchess of Devonshire had taken it. But we know that it was none of those people and none of that happened. So we now know that Vincenzo, because he was a part of the glass crew that had worked at the Louvre, the police had interviewed him in his Paris apartment in 1911. They believed, that he, they believed his alibi that he had been working at a different location on the day of the theft. After keeping the painting hidden in his apartment for two years, Vincenzo returned to Italy with it. He kept it in his apartment in Florence for some time, and in December 1913, Vincenzo wrote a man named Mario Fratelli. Mario was the owner of an art gallery in Florence. Mario's story does conflict with Vincenzo's a little bit, but it was clear that Vincenzo wanted a reward for returning to the painting to what he regarded as its homeland. More on that later. So Mario called in a man named Giovanni Poggi, who was the director of the Uffizi Gallery, who authenticated the painting, and Mario and Giovanni then took the painting from Vincenzo for quote-unquote safekeeping and they informed the police that hey look we found the Mona Lisa so the police then proceeded to arrest our dude Vincenzo at his hotel in Florence after its recovery the painting was exhibited all over Italy with the banner headlines rejoicing its returned the Mona Lisa was then returned to the Louvre in 1913 and it was a police theory that Vincenzo hid hid inside the museum on Sunday August 20th knowing it would be closed the following day, but according to Vincenzo in his interrogation interview, um, that he did in fact just do it all on the Monday, which is crazy. And I think the reason the police thought that he did it on Sunday is because it was just so unbelievable that he was able to like so quickly get that painting in and out. So, Vincenzo said that he stole the painting for a patriotic reason. He wanted to bring the painting back to display in Italy after, quote, it was stolen by Napoleon. And when Vincenzo worked at the Louvre, he learned of how Napoleon plundered many Italian works of art during the Napoleonic Wars. However, the truth of the matter was that Leonardo da Vinci took his painting as a gift for Francis when he moved to France to become a painter in his court during the 16th century, which was 250 years before Napoleon's birth. Whether Vincenzo knew this fun fact or not is questionable at best, but it is what it is, I suppose. And experts have also questioned his patriotism, noting that if it were a true act of patriotism, then he would have donated the painting to an Italian museum, 
rather than attempting to sell it for a profit from its sale. The question of money was also confirmed by letters that Vincenzo had sent to his father after the theft. So on December 22nd, 1911, four months after the theft, he wrote that Paris was where, quote, I will make my fortune and that his fortune will arrive in one shot. The following year in 1912, he wrote, quote, I am making a vow for you to live long and enjoy the prize that as your son is about to realize for you and all of our family. <laughs> Doesn't look great for him. In court, Vincenzo appeared super unhinged. Repeatedly, he would shout and interrupt the court. He argued with prosecutors. He argued with his lawyer. He argued with the judge. And the judge would bang his gavel and tell him to calm down. And then he would just start back up again. Super hot-headed, if you will. So first he said that he worked alone and then he implicated two friends, neither of whom turned out to be involved. It was just him. He did it alone, somehow. Then through it all, he maintained the theft was an act of patriotism. His profession of patriotism stirred the Italian jury and on June 5th, 1914, he was given a lenient sentence, just one year and 15 days, and he was hailed as a great patriot in Italy and served only seven months in jail. After his release from jail, he served in the Italian army during World War One. During the war, he was captured by Austria-Hungary and held as a prisoner of war for two years until the war ended and then he was released. He later married and had one daughter and then they returned to France. He continued to work as a painter using his birth name Piccio Vincenzo and he died on October 8th, 1925, which was his 44th birthday, from a heart attack in a Paris suburb. He was also buried in Condé Cemetery in that same suburb. Sometime in the 1950s, Vincenzo's remains were exhumed and relocated into the cemetery Bone Locker. His death in 1925 was not widely reported on by the media at the time, possibly because he died under the name of Piccio Vincenzo instead of, you know, how everyone knew him, which was Vincenzo. So, obituaries appeared mistakenly only when another Vincenzo died in 1947. So, while the Mona Lisa was famous before the theft, the notoriety it received from the newspaper headlines and the large-scale police investigation helped the artwork become one of the best known in the world, gaining considerable public interest. Da Vinci painted his masterpiece in 1507, but it was only the 19th century that the critics began to see the work as the pinnacle of Renaissance Florentine painting, and in 1911, the Mona Lisa was not yet instantly recognizable, although it was worth a lot. In fact, when the Washington Post first reported the theft and appraised the painting's value at $5 million, the paper mistakenly ran a picture of Monavana, a nude charcoal sketch that some believe da Vinci made in preparation to paint the Mona Lisa. The theft changed how the world saw the Mona Lisa and truly did give it the status that it has today. And that is my tale for you today. Super short one, but I thought it was interesting. We learned all about the 1911 heist of the Mona Lisa and what truly shot it to the level of notoriety that it has today, which I think is super interesting. And I uh, never knew that our dude Vincenzo really helped boost the notoriety of that painting. Who knew? 
But that is all for our episode today, folks. Like I said, next week we are back to our regularly scheduled programming. Emily will be at you with another new episode. She'll, I'm sure, have some crazy conspiracy theory, mythology thing, crime to share with you all, as you know. (laughs) Um, But that's all. That's it. That's all. Um, If you... If you like the show, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. It's at Wheel of Crime. If you have a story to share or have a comment, question, concern, just want to tell us how you feel, you can always email us. Our email is wheelofcrime at gmail.com. We would so love it if you could give us a five star on iTunes. It really helps boost our show and shows us the love. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can support the show on Patreon. You can find us there at Wheel of Crime. That's all for this week. We will see you next Friday with another new episode. Bye!